Last week we concluded Romans chapter 4, where Paul expounded upon the faith of Abraham. And he described Abraham's kind of faith as hope against hope. It is the confidence to believe that God can bring the dead back to life. This is what Abraham believed. Specifically, what Abraham believed was that God could cause his aging body and his wife Sarah's aging womb to bring new life into the world. Because as we know the story, Abraham was 100 years old when God promised him that he would become the father of many nations. Even though his wife was well past her childbearing years. But Abraham believed God despite the impossibility of the promise. He hoped against hope. And you and I today hope against hope in the same way. We believe that though we are dead in our trespasses and our sins, that God is able to bring us back to life. We hope against hope that God can make us live again. That God can transform us from within and fill us with new life. And we believe that even though we're appointed once to die, that God will raise us up again at the last day and we will have eternal life. Just like Abraham, we, we hope against hope. It sounds impossible. Abraham was fully assured that God could bring things into being that did not yet exist. That's what the text last week said. And this is another radical notion that God could make something out of nothing. God promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations at a time when Abraham didn't even have a nation to belong to. Even before Abraham had one child, before Israel even existed, Abraham hoped against hope that God was able to bring this promise to pass. And we hope against hope in the same way. You and I trust that by the power of God's word, we have been made righteous because God said so. Even when our lives do not seem to reflect God's decree, we believe. This is the faith, brothers and sisters, by which Abraham gained favor and access into the life of God. This is the faith that stands justified in the sight of God. And so now Paul continues today in, in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, saying, Therefore, this being the case, having been justified by faith. I want to pause right here and make a very subtle but often overlooked truth. We understand that Abraham simply believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. But what is often overlooked in the faith equation is that the act of calling me righteous, the very act of envisioning me to be what I am not, is also an act of faith. In other words, I am called righteous because of my faith 
but God calls me righteous by faith as well. Let this one sink in. Have you ever considered this truth? That God uses faith just as you and I use faith. This is astonishing to discover. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 defines faith in very simple terms to be the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things that are not seen. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 reports that in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, there was nothing. <clears throat> there was no order, there was no light, there was no form. And in the face of this eternal void, God said, let there be. He spoke those introductory words to nothing at all. And yet God was fully assured. And yet God hoped against hope. God was certain that the thing he hoped for would come into existence, even when there was no proof of its existence. God uses faith. It is by the same means that God is able to call us righteous. God is certain that I am righteous even in the absence of any proof. In fact, sometimes my life reflects just the opposite of what God is hoping for. But God continues to hope against hope. He hopes against hope that the thing he has commanded will come into being out of nothing. Emptiness of my soul and commands, let there be righteousness. Now, now, when God said, let there be light, the light immediately appeared. When God said, let there be a firmament between the heavens to separate the heavens from the heavens, the firmament immediately appeared. When God said, let there be vegetation, a sun, stars, and the moon, all these things instantly appeared. Yet God has called me righteous. And righteousness does not readily seem to appear in every aspect of my character. Why not? Everything else that he commanded immediately came to pass. He has called me righteous. Why does my life not always and constantly reflect what God has commanded? Why is there a delay? And the answer is because mankind is not an empty canvas. The answer is that God has given mankind a will. And our fallen wills have the power to resist the command of God, to challenge the faith of God. This faith that God has is not faith in humanity. This faith that God has is not faith in me or in my ability to be right or to do right. When God told Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, God was not depending on Abraham's body to bring the promise to pass. God was not relying on Sarah's dead womb. God spoke those words to Abraham by faith. 
in the complete absence of any proof that Abraham's situation was conducive to carrying out his command. God hoped against hope. God was certain that what he said would come to be. And how did Abraham respond? Abraham met God's faith with faith. And the rest is history. So what am I saying? I am saying this, brothers and sisters, that God hopes that we will be righteous, not just by faith, but in reality over time. When God calls us righteous, God is not telling a lie. God is projecting into the future. God is envisioning me to be what he expects me to become. Think about it. When you pray by faith, you don't consider yourself to be asking for things that will never happen, do you? You pray because you expect that God will do what you have asked him to do, even though it may seem impossible, even though it may seem unachievable. God is no different. God has called me righteous, and God expects that I will transform into the very thing that he has called me. God expects that his words over my life will come to fruition. But it is only when I connect my faith to the faith of God. It is only when God and I believe for the impossible in unison that my life begins to show righteous signs of life. Faith in God is not a one-way street. Faith in God is a partnership. God is hoping against hope and so am I. God is hoping against all odds that the righteousness he envisions in me will manifest itself in me and so am I. Or at least I'm supposed to be hoping that. It is in this agreement of faith that great things can and great things do occur. Jesus Christ was a man of faith. Jesus Christ could envision by faith that the lame could walk again. Jesus Christ could envision by faith that the blind could see again. Jesus believed that the voiceless could speak again and the deaf could hear again. But notice this in all of the Gospels, that Jesus never heals anyone when that person or some representative of that person does not have faith. Jesus already believes it. But it requires you to believe what Jesus believes, and that agreement is what brings it to pass. Jesus already hopes against hope. Jesus already believes in the impossible. It is only when you agree with the faith of Christ that great things happen. It is a partnership between heaven and earth, between God and man. Faith is not a one-way street, brothers and sisters. God calls you and I righteous. And he calls us righteous by faith. 
God can already envision it. And the degree to which I am able to become in reality what God has already called me by faith is the degree to which I am able to believe that God can bring the dead to life. That God can cause things that are not to become. God and I agree that by his power, my transformation is possible. I can be righteous and I can lead a righteous life. I believe it because God has already called me righteous. And I'm confident that what God has said is the truth. And that God is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all I could ever ask or think. I believe what God has said. <laughs> and in that agreement, my righteousness begins to show forth. Because I believe that I am what God said that I am. If you love God, you want to see what God hopes for you come to pass. And if God has called you righteous and that is God's hope, you are diligent and vigilant to seek to become what God has said because you want God to be satisfied. You want God to be pleased. <laughs> God has called me righteous. I dare not make him a liar. But I desire to be and to become what God has said. It is not enough to become a Christian and say, God has called me righteous, so all is forgiven and I am okay. No, that, that's not enough. God has put his name on the line. God has put his son on the line to call me righteous. The least that I can do. <laughs> the least that I can do is agree with God and cooperate and become what God has said I am. If I love God, that's what I do. And it works the other way as well. I ask God for help. And because God loves me, and I'm calling for things that sound impossible in prayer, God brings the request to pass because he loves me. All God is saying to me is, Calvin, you are righteous. That is my request. And I am to answer God and to respond to God out of love just as God responds to me. To seek and to desire to be and to become what God has called me to be. That is a loving relationship. And we hope for that righteousness to appear just as Abraham hoped for Isaac at the promise of God, just as Jacob hoped for the blessing, just as Israel hoped for deliverance out of Egypt at the promise of God, we hope against hope. When Israel hopes in the book of Exodus that God will deliver them out of the bondage of Egypt, they weren't planning to spend another 100 years in bondage. When the promise of deliverance from God came, the Israelites began to pack their bags and to prepare for the march out of Israel, away from their oppressors. They didn't sit around. When the promise came, they became active and engaged, and they moved toward what they hoped for. 
And now that this promise of righteousness has been delivered to us, we are not planning out how we're going to learn to live with our character flaws and our sins and our weaknesses. We do not casually accept the idea that we have to remain bound by the power of sin, no. The call for our deliverance has come from God and we are packing our bags and preparing to evacuate every sinful lifestyle and habit that holds us down and holds us back and everything that does not align itself with the promises of God. We are active, our faith is active and engaged in bringing the promise of God to pass. By our faith, we are made whole. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 teaches us that we have been justified by faith. In other words, we are considered righteous because of our certainty that we will be made righteous. And faith is the conduit by which we access the promises of God. But faith is only one of seven means by which we are accounted as righteous before God. And this is important for us to understand. While faith may be the primary means of justification before God, faith is only one of seven means of our justification. That may be confusing. Let me give you an example, clarify my point. Eric, how did you get to church today? You drove, Eric drove to church today. And that's correct. He drove to church. He used his car, right? And he drove to church today. That is correct in a sense. But much more specifically, Eric, you got here first because you woke up this morning. Had you not awakened this morning, you wouldn't be here. So technically, and more specifically, you got here because you woke up this morning. You got here, Eric, because there was gas in your car. You had gas, right? Yeah. Gas played a role in your getting here. You got here because of your car has a combustible engine <laughs> that fires up and creates energy that moves the wheels. That's how you got here this morning, more specifically. You got here this morning, probably down 294, and you cut across. You used the highway, yeah? You used streets to get here. You got here in many more ways than just you drove. More specifically, <laughs> when you dig down into it, there are a lot of elements that cause you to be here right now, not just one, not just that you drove. If the alarm clock would not have gone off, you wouldn't be here probably, if you used the alarm clock. So yes, the car is one means by which you arrive today, but it's only one. It's a very important one, but still it's only one reason that you made it to your destination. In a similar way, faith is one means by which we access justification in God. It's an important way, but it's only one way. In my analogy, faith would be the waking up Faith is the awakening to the promises of God. 
Faith comes by hearing, the Bible says, and hearing by the word of God. Faith is the beginning of the journey. It is one element of the process of justification. And it's important for us to understand this so that we're not putting all of our confidence in our own faith to receive justification. Because truth be told, truth be told, there are days when our faith tends to falter. There are times in the seasons of life where we do not trust God to follow through on what he himself has promised and we think we need to help God out a bit. You've been there, I've been there. Abraham was there. God promised Abraham a child. But the years kept passing. And Abraham began to wonder and Sarah became creative and told Abraham, go in and lay with my servant, Hagar. Maybe that's the way God's going to bring the promise to pass. That was nowhere in God's plan. <laughs> but his faith was being tested and tried. Hmm. His faith seems to have been devolving. Why? Because Abraham's justification was not based only on his faith alone. His, faith, his justification was based on God himself and not merely on his faith. More specifically, we are justified by God. Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 33 says, Who will bring charges against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Whether my faith is strong or my faith is weak, whether I am fully confident or only confident in part, my justification is not established upon my faith alone, but upon God himself. So that the more preeminent means of my justification is God alone. The only one who can declare a sinner to be justified is God. It is in God that we place our confidence and not in our faith. We do not worship faith. We worship God. God is the one who justifies. We are confident with Solomon. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 14 when he says, I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it and there is nothing to take from it. <laughs> we know that everything God does will remain. It is whatever God does, not whatever my faith does. And I think personally that Romans chapter five and verse one would be better translated to read, having then been justified on the principles of faith, not by faith, as if faith is the means of justification itself. It is not. Ultimately, God is the one who calls the unrighteous righteous. So that we are justified on the principle of faith. We are justified by God. But even more specifically, even more specifically, we are justified by God's grace. We already learned this in Romans chapter 3, verse 24, which states that we have been justified as a gift by his grace. 
We are justified not by anything within us. We are justified by what resides in the heart of God, which is grace. We are justified on the principle of faith by God himself and by the grace of God in particular. Are you with me? But even more specifically, even more specifically, We are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5 verse 9 says this, Much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Christ. So that the blood of Jesus Christ is the active manifestation of the grace of God. The blood of Jesus is the biblical phrase that we use to describe the sacrifice, the death, and the burial of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. We are justified by the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Jesus did not save us by living. He saved us by dying. And we are justified by his blood. And because he died in our place, because Jesus, who knew no sin, was crucified as a sinner, sin and death have been reprimanded. Sin and death have been conquered and defeated, and we have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ, this most effective means of the grace of God, which leads to our justification. Hmm. And not only are we justified through the death of Christ, we're justified by his resurrection. It seems like we may have overlooked that in Romans chapter 4 and verse 25, which says, Jesus Christ was delivered over because of our wrongdoings, and he was raised because of our justification. So that the resurrection of Jesus Christ then is the proof of the full guarantee that the righteous will rise to eternal life. Jesus Christ rose from the dead in order to open the door and to make a way for all of us who believe to walk into eternal life. We are justified by his resurrection. Now we come to faith in the fifth place after these four facts. That we are justified by God, that we are justified by grace, that we are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we are justified by his resurrection. Only after these four truths does faith come onto the scene. God has done all of the heavy lifting. And now you and I are called upon to do our part. And we already talked about this first part we play in our justification, to believe, to trust, to depend on God alone, just as Abraham did. But there are still two more elements, two more means by which we are justified. And for most of us, these two other means are somewhat controversial. But I'll say this before I, before I mention them. The Bible is clear on both of these. Another means by which we are justified is by our words. And Jesus himself makes this determination in Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to read a portion of it for you to see how Jesus responds to the Pharisees 
Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37. Here's what it says. Jesus says, either assume the tree to be good as well as its fruit, or assume the tree to be bad as well as its fruit. For the tree is known by its fruits. You offspring of vipers, how can you being evil express any good things? For the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. The good person brings out of his good treasure good things, and the evil person brings out of his evil treasure evil things. But I tell you that for every careless word that people speak, they will give an account on the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Jesus said that. By your words, you will be justified. By your words, you, so we always say faith alone, grace alone. Jesus said, no, you're also going to be justified by the words you speak. There's more to it. All the heavy lifting has been done by God already. Now that you have faith, understand this, that by your words, you will be justified. What is this justification by words? The explanation is not necessarily in the text we just read, but it's in the entirety of the New Testament. When a person has turned away from himself, when a person has believed on Jesus Christ, that person becomes regenerated, saved. And God plants within their heart his own divine life. And the truth of God's life being dwelling within you are the words that you speak. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. The thoughts of the unsaved person are already vain, but the thoughts of the children of God are in accordance with the nature of God. We're justified by our words. We will be justified by our confession. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 says this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. You will be justified by your confession. But the confession of Jesus Christ as Lord is only an initial confession. After your confession of faith, there should be in the believer's life a continuing witness. James chapter 3 verse 10 through 12. James complains that from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, bear olives or a vine bear figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh water. This is what James says. He says to the brothers and sisters that in your words, your words prove what kingdom you are from. If we speak words of malice and divisiveness and bitterness and complaining, our, our words may betray the fact that we have not been made new, that we have not been regenerated. By our words, we will be justified. By our words, we will be proven. 
We are justified by our words. And lastly, we're justified by our works. And James is the one who informs us of this as well. And as a side note, as a side note, it is said that Martin Luther, that great theologian, was so disturbed by the book of James that he considered taking the book of James out of the New Testament writings altogether. He could not find a synthesis between James discussing works for justification and Paul discussing faith toward justice. He couldn't make the connection. And he had determined within his own mind that maybe James is not one of the original books of the canon. He sounds so far off from what Paul has said. But all James is actually pointing out is that it is possible to make the confession of faith. It is possible to join the church. It is possible to go through all the motions of salvation and still be lost. That's all, that's all James is trying to tell you. It is possible to go through all of the religious motions and still be lost. James is not trying to challenge grace. James is not challenging faith alone or grace alone. He's not doing that. James is merely pointing out that it is possible for us to be deceived into believing that we are justified when we are not. And he's trying to offer to us a couple of ways we can check to verify that we have indeed been regenerated. The whole of, of James' thought is too exhaustive to go into today. Maybe we'll do the book of James next. But suffice to say that James is teaching that we are justified by our works. Listen to how he says this in James chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. And this almost seems like a direct response to the book of Romans chapter 4 where Paul is discussing the faith of Abraham, how they were saved by faith. This sounds like a direct response from James to Paul. He says this, Was our father Abraham not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of those works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, and Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. James says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. <laughs> he adds some nuance to what Paul is teaching. So that people don't labor under the misnomer of thinking, well, now that I believe, I'm guaranteed to be in, and I can live my life however I want. No, James says, no, it's not like that. If your faith does not produce good works, and if your works do not agree with your faith, it may be that you are believing in vain. All that to say that faith is always, faith is always Faith is always accompanied by works. And when faith is not accompanied by good works, that faith may not be true faith. But if your faith and your works align, this is the kind of faith of faithful Abraham. 
This is the kind of faith that God justifies. out of faith. That's a very important thing to understand because that makes you understand just how precious faith really is. That God called the world into existence by faith, out of nothing. He hoped for it and he spoke for it and it appeared. God uses faith. The second thing I want us to understand is that God wants us to connect our faith to his faith. To say what he said, to believe what he believes, and to hope for what he hopes for. And that what God hopes for in calling you righteous is not just that you will get to heaven. What God hopes for in calling you righteous is that you will become righteous. Not just so that you can get to heaven, brothers and sisters. God is not like Santa Claus trying to find out whether you've been naughty or whether you've been nice. But in justifying us and in hoping against hope for our righteousness, what God desires more than anything is that we will be able to become one with himself. That we will become as he is that we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. This is what God is hoping for. And if you love God, this is what you desire to fulfill. Let's pray. Father God, your love is amazing, indescribable, unconventional. Your grace is unassailable. And you hope against hope in calling me righteous. Father God, let it be not my desire, let it be all of our desire to prove you right. Let all of us learn to hunger and to thirst after righteousness, even though you've already called us righteous. Help us not to be lackadaisical and to take your grace for granted. Help us to recognize that you have put your name and your life on the line for us in calling us righteous. We desire more than anything to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We desire more than anything to see your hope come to fruition in our lives. We agree with you that we are righteous. May we live out our lives in a way that reflect the righteousness that you have implanted within each of our hearts. May we submit to the sanctifying process of heaven. May we allow you to cut away the dead aspects of our lives, of our lifestyles. Help us to surrender to your Holy Spirit, to follow your guidance and to follow your wisdom. So that in the end you will be true, proven true. 
because we believe that whatever you have called will indeed come to pass. In Jesus' name, amen.